Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. Part of the 24-7 Sports Network, I am Mike Casaza, throwing it to Chris Anderson. Chris, we usually start this with something anecdotal that we either talked about before we record or maybe some type of a news thing. We, we typically waste time and end up going over an hour, which is touchy subject for some people. And then we talk about things like Eric Martin getting the Cincinnati job, which just doesn't happen. Maybe we should just jump into the questions and answers today. How's that sound? I think that sounds like a good idea because uh, we got a lot to cover. We had some... Uh, I don't want to accuse our subscribers of, of pandering to us because uh, there's certainly some questions in here that are just just podcast bait, just pure podcast bait for, for you and I to just discuss at length. And I love it. I love that these got put in here and um, we're definitely going to answer them. And you know, we got a lot to talk about af- even after this because you and I are going to we're recording this Tuesday morning like we always do. And then we're going to knock out a spring game preview podcast right after. So we got a lot to talk about. We won't waste too much time. We'll just get right to your questions. What do you think, Mike? I agree. And we, we did discuss this beforehand. Um, we'll definitely line up and knock down questions here. There's not a whole lot of spring football questions, which is good because we're going to talk extensively about the spring game for a podcast later in the week. So we're not going to repeat a whole bunch of things, but also it's indicative of kind of what we talked about low-key a little bit that kind of a boring spring <laughs> what did i say what did we say last time the biggest the biggest story of the spring so far other than you know tyke smith leaving was uh, uh a third string receiver moving to be a third string linebacker yeah and that may or may not be true now or even then but like it's up there for sure i do think there's some things that you could you could suss out a little bit and make them bigger deals but um i do think that's kind of the reason that they're they're being so reined in on their praise or whatever. And I do think that they're just using this as 15 practices and not like one big thing to get ready for a spring game. It's kind of 15 practices before the 15 practices. Um, and, and, you know, publicity be damned. Like, they're just going to do their thing and be okay with it and then get ready for the fall, which is when things really do matter. But um, I don't know when, when the, yeah, when, when your third string linebacker or the fact that you have recruits coming into campus legally permissibly uh, to watch practices is, is kind of a big deal. You probably thrown the veil over everything, which is what you want to do. Coaches don't want to have a whole lot going on during the spring in public. So good for them. Um, when you said podcast bait, did you mean this question from two, one, four, six ear? Does Daggy throw for 4,000 yards during the regular season? Part one, part two, you walk into a bar and want to frustrate and infuriate as many WVU pans as possible. Who are you taking with you, Daigie or Skylar Howard? Is that what you're talking about, Chris? That is, there's like four in here that are pure podcast bait, and that is absolutely one of them. Absolutely right. one. Let's start there. Uh, yeah, 333 yards a game is a stretch for Daigie. 4,000 yards is a stretch. I don't think he hits that number. Um, and then I don't feel like Daigie's as persona non grata as Howard. I don't think he's as good as Howard was. But for some reason, Howard is just like this despised, extremely divisive player. If I'm going into the fishbowl and I want to turn heads, me, Skyler, and the cowboy hat. That's my pick. Yeah, uh, I don't want to gloss over part two here. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm going to – let me say I don't want to gloss over both parts, but I feel like the answer is pretty, pretty easy for both of them. Uh, one, no, I don't think he's going to pass for 4,000 yards. Uh, would you like to guess – how many times a West Virginia player has thrown for 4,000 yards in a season? 
I know the number of players. I don't know how many seasons, though. Uh, one player, two seasons. Okay. Geno Smith, 2011, like, 2012. I wish we did it once or twice. Okay. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, I'm not expecting Daggy to to join that company. I mean, we're talking Pete Colgerson with Geno throwing to Stedman, Tavon, uh, McCartney, everybody else right there. That that I'm not expecting that to be duplicated at this point in time. So definitely under there. Um, part two. Yeah, the answer's got to be Skylar Howard, I think. Uh, and as you said, Skylar Howard's good. People forget that he was good. But Skylar Howard, like, reveled in this the, this kind of, like, heel oh. turn that, that <laughs> happened. Like, I mean, he, he was... He would send messages to people on social media. He would block people on Twitter. He would make comments to media. Uh, I may be talking about myself here. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I feel like Diggy's just kind of been quiet. Uh, doesn't say much. Doesn't say anything confrontational. Just kind of goes about his business. And people are just mad. Not because he's... I mean, basically because he's not Will Greer, I think, is what people are mad at. Like, yeah. I think people got spoiled because they've, you know, West Virginia's had a very nice run of quarterbacks uh, this past decade or so, uh, longer than a decade or so, because de- or so includes Pat White. So, um, yeah, uh, for a while. So I think people are getting on him about that. But I think it, there are far more people that would be upset with, with Skylar Howard coming in, even though Skylar Howard, you know, last player to lead West Virginia to a 10 win season. So who is, who is the better answer beyond Skylar Howard for that question? Like, I'm not sure he's the right answer, but for this, like to to my question, but like, who is your public enemy? Number one, that you walk into the bar and everybody's like, Oh, forget that guy. Does it have to be a quarterback? I, no, no, no. I'm just saying like, I, I like this kind of does put him in the scope a little bit because I'm not sure that there are many people who are as, um, I reviled as such a strong word, but I don't know, are, are worthy of a spot in this conversation. And maybe worthy isn't even the right word that, that get pulled into this conversation quite like Howard, like maybe Pat Miller, but like, I'm not sure everybody recognizes Pat Miller in the lineup. Right. I mean, if he was, if you saw the back of his Jersey walking into the bar, perhaps that would be a little bit more indicative of who he was, but everybody recognized Howard. But I guess if you could just go on resume career, and the fuel to frustrate people, if that could walk into a bar, who do you think that that person would be? Okay, this is tough because, to be clear, one of the first things, one of the first prerequisites is they have to be good. Like, mm-hmm. they have to have been good enough to be part of this team, a starter, because nobody's going to come in and, you know, suck for one game and then, you know, be, you know, reviled, as you as the term you referenced there. But I, I think, man, I... Because again, Skylar Howard was good. Maybe not as good as he thought he was. I think this is is the big kick here, and why some fans were upset about him. Um, but like I'm along trying to say, along uh, the same lines, like Russell Shell kind of fits in that conversation, right? Yeah, but were people mad at Russell Shell? Like, I mean, I know people were frustrated that he wasn't like the five star recruit that everybody thought he was, but. He seemed relatively humble while he was on campus and oh, just yeah. kind of went around grinding about his job and, and and didn't, you know, even when he was splitting carries, like I don't I don't really recall him being like, "Hey, why am I splitting carries with this other guy? Like I, I need more carries and and okay. stuff." So, I don't know. 
it's hard to think of somebody else because now I'm trying to think of, you know, maybe guys that left the program and, and maybe trashed the program on the way out. But there haven't been many of those either. Because like even guys that like just didn't frustrated fans by just not showing up like uh, Sasquatch, uh, yeah. Tavita Finau, mm-hmm. like he like jokes with fans and laughs about it now. And everybody's just kind of like, yeah, that sucked. But man, whatever. So I'm not sure because it's a pretty small scope here. You have to be really good. You have to have been around the program for a while. And I think there's not many players that kind of, and, you know, maybe have to be really good, but not as good as maybe you think. And because, yeah, who else, I mean, who else fits? I don't know who else fits other than, than, than Skylar Howard right now. Maybe like William Crest doesn't really count, but that's a guy that they had huge hope for and just couldn't stick. Um, I think basketball. Oh, I could think of like a dozen people in well, basketball. <laughs> but also just one, though. I mean, it's it's Truck Bryant, right? Is it not Issa Ahmad? I oh, mean, that's goodness. it for me just because I like I saw him all through high school and thought he was going to be like the best player in the entire country. Okay, that's a good one. So I think Ahmad would be similar. Or excuse me, um, would Ahmad's the right answer. I think you probably got me there. I think um, Truck would be the good answer because you're in a bar and you're probably going to have the courage to go up and, and air some grievances. And you're gonna talk to him for two minutes and do a 180 and love that guy because his yeah. personality and and his sense of humor and, and his his wisdom and, and he's just like fun guy to be around. That's why everybody liked him too. But that's a guy that his performances drove people crazy. But you would probably again you would flip. You you talk to him and be like, oh boy, I feel dumb. I, that guy's a lot cooler than I thought. And I challenge anybody to tell me otherwise. If you've had a bad interaction with him, please let me know. <laughs> Not sure if they exist. So yeah, that's a good podcast fodder question. Um, and that's how this goes. People ask questions. We have answers. They come from our subscribers. We have a list we should get through here. Um, and hopefully we'll stay off of your list of uh, infuriating bar guests with our answers. <laughs> uh, I'm not ta- I'm not taking Mike Casaza into the bar with me. No way. You won't find we, me. We, d- we, we did that once. Uh, me, you, Keglers. And the very first thing that happened was somebody walked up and was like, oh, God. What happened? You guys together. <laughs> You guys together. Oh, no. So and then it happened, yeah. So, <laughs> so where do we start now here? We started there. That's good. What's next, I guess? Um, let's stick with it. This is kind of another another podcast fodder question, as you put it, from DubVGotM. If you could pick one former WVU football, let's just say Big 12 era only, and add them to this year's team, who and why? The idea would be the biggest impact on this specific football team. No quarterbacks, please, because that's too easy. All right. I have three, but I'll let you go here because I want to see if I can dance around yours. Because I have like I have my answer, but then I have like one from offense and one from defense that are like my runners up. So the very first one that came to mind, because I think you obviously you want to think where can the team get better? With one addition. Yeah, and so that's yeah. important here. Like, it has to fix, fit contextually with this season's roster, right? Right. And yeah. I think quarterback, it, it, you know, you got rid of that. That would have been, I would have been like, Will Greer, done. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I'm torn one on offense, one on defense, because I think I would love to have, I mean, uh, any time, but David Long on this team just to disrupt off the edge. I know they got some guys at, um, at on the defensive line, obviously, right now. But if you're moving, if they're sticking with this Josh chandler Tomato in the middle thing, which it certainly seems like they are, and there's no reason to think they shouldn't because he has done well when he's gone there. Will has, again, Will has been 
So it, it's been banged up this spring. That's part of the problem. That's part of the reason they moved Devell Washington from receiver to Will linebacker. But you could slide David Long right in there. He would start right away, and he would make – I mean, he would have a field day in this defense. Mm-hmm. Offense, I hate to cheat, but Tavon Austin, man. Like, mm-hmm. give me a year of that. Like, if you are unsure of your quarterback being able to throw the deep ball or find that find guys, I mean, yeah, you could go Stedman Bailey because sure hands, which was uh, an issue last year, uh, not having sure hands. But if you have a guy like Tavon Austin where you could just dump it to him and then he just does it himself, that would relieve a lot of issues that you might have or concerns you might have with your quarterback spot. I'm with you on Long. That's that's my right answer, the one I was going to pick. Are we sure he doesn't play Mike in this defense? It might. That's the I, possibility I, that you that you invite there. I like that. I think he could plug in one or the other, and he's that he's that he's Tony Fields. He's more disruptive. He's better than Tony Fields. I get that, but he just he just fits for you too. Um, and then I thought about Rasul Douglas because they need a corner and mm. just just height, reach, the fact that he could really – he was a competitive guy. I think that's a nice compliment to Nick Troy Fortune there too, but I, w- I would pick long. Um, I'm with you on receiver, and I like your ideas of Bailey and Austin. I think that in some regard they're not so different from Kevin White mm. because that's a guy who – he's going to grab a 50 50 ball better than Tavon is. Um, and he's going to break a tackle more often than Stedman Bailey is. And what does his team need? Um, I think it has someone, it has a Winston, right? Who's not Tavon, but he, he's the, he's the Dr. K version, you know, um, he's going to be okay and do that slot stuff for you. And they have, you know, some guys who are maybe a little bit more finesse on the outside who can do some things. Not that Stedman Bailey was a finesse player, but, when you look at like Kevin White, that's that's a pretty steady, sturdy guy who's going to go up and pluck 50-50 balls out of the air, who's going to catch a seven-yard route and, and shake off a tackler, who's going to go in the middle and not drop the pass. I just they lack a physicality on a size out there. I also I still wonder, are they trying to recruit big guys outside? I'm not sure they are, so I'm not even sure he really fits. But a one-year thing, I just like his presence out there, the fact that he could – he, he would not mind getting targeted 12 times a game and catching 12 balls, even if he only got like 100 yards. He's going to catch it. He's going to move the chain. He's going to get hit. He's going to grab a uh, key third down reception, and he's going to be dynamic in the red zone too. I just think that's what they lack overall. You've convinced me on the Kevin White thing. Man. I think that's Yeah, I think that's a better pick, uh, a better pick than Tavon just for what this team needs because you're right. I think Winston Wright can be 60% of Tavon, 70% of Tavon maybe a little more. Um, and I don't know any who's on this roster that's going to pull Kevin White. So I think that that's, that's, a, that's a good change that I would make. Um, like Russell Douglas, too. That's, a, that's cornerback's definitely a need. Although, hey, man, with this, this recent transfer, I've set it on the board. I think this is one of those sneaky ones that everybody's going to kind of gloss over because he came from FCS. But uh, it's pretty darn good. Woods out of uh, Illinois State, he's um, – you know, extremely productive at that level, grades out really high, defends really well. Uh, his numbers are better than anybody that was on West Virginia's roster even last year, better than Sean Miller's. So it's something to keep an eye on. Like, he could be that guy that all of a sudden he's locked down that side of the field for West Virginia. So I, I'm I'm a big – what I'm trying to say here is I'm a big buyer on that. So corner is not – like, my view of cornerback for this team this fall – has tra- changed drastically in the last week. 
think they needed it too. Uh, I'm yes. I'm curious what yes. they do with what they do with Jackie Matthews now. Does he become a nickel? Is he the starter? I don't know. I I just have a feeling that they like him in like a versatile role. Um, maybe he's not their best corner, but he's one of their best eleven or twelve guys, and he can play nickel. He can play third safety, whatever you want to call it, uh, slot nickel corner, whatever. But Woods just seems like that six one, two hundred pound guy who. By the way, played played in a really good conference against very good teams, even relative to that level. But I think overall, those are good offenses, and he saw them, and he he was dominant his sophomore season, and was probably on his way this year. But everything was screwy. Uh, they cut their season in half, and he just you know, <laughs> once they said we're not playing any more games, he was in the transfer portal too. So I think he's had his eyes set in this, and um, I imagine he come in willing and able to do whatever it could to be on the field. Uh, this one from Captain Ear Fan Three, continuing the. Uh... Podcast bait questions coming off the Devell Washington move to linebacker. If you could move any one player on the roster to another position across the line of scrimmage keywords, who would it be and why? This is so hard. It's a great question, but I went down and I looked at this and I just don't have many candidates because the people who are good enough to matter are situated in their spots. Like you're not going to move like Vandarius Cowan. Oh, he'd be a cool tight end, right? He's not leaving Bandit, right? Um, there's no one who is spare part, superfluous, whatever you want to call it, like Devil Washington. Um, and that sounds bad, but you know what I mean? Like a guy who can move and he's not going to hurt one side, but he'll help the other. So I looked at it and then, you know, you're not moving any of your good running backs to corner or safety because one, they probably can't play. Um, and like, yeah, make your Sam James joke, but like, is he going to get back in the defensive backfield and play? No. Is Are any of the corners going to come on the other side? No. Are you going to move Reese Smith? No. So I went back and forth in this and tried to figure it out. And they're like, okay, could Tariq Stewart play nose? Why? Because he's big? No. So I I did a thorough job on this, Chris. Um, the one that just intrigues me the most, give me Grant Wicks, Grant Jesus. Give me a Victor Wickstrom and Bandit. Okay. I like that. Cause it, and, well, you know I'm with you because when we saw him at camp, the first of, thing we thought four was— fours? Yeah, the first thing we thought was— this guy's a pretty good looking outside linebacker. Like, I don't think we thought of him as a tight end when he was going through, you know, he hadn't broken out into position drills at the time. So he, he didn't have a position listed to him. I think, you know, his, his PPI recruits guy gave us a sheet, um, but it wasn't, you know, what, how the coaches viewed him. And I think on there, it just listed him as an athlete. So yeah, we were, um, I, I like that one. Uh, you, you mentioned my guy and I'm, tentative about it for all the reasons you just said but reese smith was one yeah uh, again he is you know he's in slot he got on the field as a true freshman last year in key plays so it's not like he's again like you said kind of superfluous but he is also the state record holder for interceptions in the state of kentucky uh he's an excellent cornerback or safety and something we've talked about a lot on this podcast that safety position is really old and then really young. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that, you know, might not be an issue this year, but next year, year after that, it could get pretty bad back there. And if, you know, in this spring, they moved Sam James to that spot where Reese Smith is when it seemed like Reese Smith might be the starter at that slot position. And then they moved Sam James over from, uh, was it H receiver, where he was with Winston Wright at the end of last year and moved him to slot. And so now Reese Smith is kind of, you know, I think viewed as a, we're assuming second team. He's been working with the second team. He was mentioned with the second team. 
So again, that's when you're second team receiver, you're in the rotation for the most part. So I wouldn't say he's superfluous, but he was the first guy that came to my mind, uh, mainly because it's like second team receiver, big need at safety, and he's a darn good safety. So it was just something that that popped up. But um, I like your Wickstrom one. That's a good one. I like Smith. I thought about it too, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're having a conversation next spring about him being over there. I'd be disappointed because I think he could be a pretty good receiver too. In fact, they started yeah. him there for that reason. But um, that, that's that was my choice B. Probably is a better choice than Wickstrom, but um, I'm not sure who they have behind Cowan and and um, Bartlett. Now they have Watkins, and they're talking about maybe Ja'Cory Hammond will be an outside guy when he comes in. Those are both long shots, I think. But 6'4", 250 on campus now, and, and he doesn't know just enough. And I don't know if that makes sense, but like you could give him a small set of orders and skills. Hey, just bend around this guy, or hey, just overpower that guy. And then we'll, we'll get the fundamental and the technique now, but do a thing on third down or on a, on a goal line situation or whatever. Like, Can you do something to help? I think that that'd be kind of an interesting experiment because – Physically, all the, the bona fides are there for him. All right. Next bait question. This one from Bryson Harvey. Let's play some hypothetical athletic director games, Mike. Which is your top priority? Consider the likelihood of the request being granted and uh, and goal achieved and its impact on all athletic programs. Here are your three choices. One, seek a landing place from the Big 12 to ACC or other Power 5 league. Two, Push for Big 12 to add more teams that fill out a more geographically balanced conference. Or three, develop a top three Big 12 donor base. What's your top priority? My top priority. Now, with this is a sliding scale where likelihood has to factor into your discussion, right? Yeah. So, like, I want this to happen, but, like, this isn't going to happen. Like, I would love to be 6'7". I'm not going to hang from a pull-up bar for hours a day so I could make myself 6'7". That's not going to happen, but that would be my priority. So I have to think about that. I think that they're in a bad spot financially when it comes to donors and fundraising. I'm not sure they're going to be top three. So I can't say that. I think that's a huge deal. And by the way, their director of the Mountaineer Athletic Club is now at Nebraska. So this is a really influential time for their fundraising. So that should be a focus for them. Um, I don't know how much that they can influence themselves into another Power Five conference. I think that's really important. They got to stay in the Power Five, and there probably is a better situation out there for them than where they are in the Big Twelve. Trouble is, you're starting over if you go to the ACC or the Big Ten, which I think are the popular ideas. And if you go to the SEC, good darn luck. So that doesn't seem like it's likely to me. So I would say the best answer here and the most likely thing that can happen would be getting the Big Twelve to expand. I think you could pluck teams that are regionally more friendly. I'm not saying Pitt and Clemson. Remember that when Clemson and Florida State were supposed to be the teams that were going to leave the <laughs> ACC to come to the Big 12. Uh, I'm not sure who the I'm not sure who it is. Like you could look at like for example Rutgers, Maryland, Pitt, teams in the Big 10 of the ACC that just eh, does that really work? Could they fit into a new Big 12? I don't know. We're not too far from having these conversations again, but I think that you're looking for you could definitely push. I'm sure the Big 12 would want to expand and the question is, do they listen to West Virginia when West Virginia raises its hand at the table and says, hey, I'm tired of a 980-mile trip in my shortest jaunt in the Big 12. Can we get somebody more regional? Um, I, I'm not sure you'd do that to add Cincinnati and Memphis, right? Can you add from Power 5 leagues? But long answer short, number two, push for the Big 12 to add more teams to fill out a more geographically balanced conference. That's the one that I think will be relative to likelihood 
I think most likely the three, but really also darn important too because they West Virginia still feels like it's almost newish and out of place and unfamiliar in the Big Twelve. Not as severe as those feelings were so many years ago, but it still exists. And if it hasn't gone away now, when's it going to go away? I think the for me, I'm with you. Three's out. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's a big we'll, deal though. It is a big deal. But what didn't somebody? I, I thought somebody posted on our board recently, like the the number of donors or percentage of donors or whatever it was. And West Virginia was like 10th out of 10 in the big 12, like dead last. Um, so I don't, you know, you, it, it's very difficult to go from dead last in anything to top three. Mm-hmm. So I don't consider that a viable option. I'm going to go the other way from you on okay. what the top choice is though. I think they need to do at work every back channel they possibly can to try to get into the ACC. I know there's going to be ACC teams that push against it, but I think the fact that it's worked out well with Louisville and that the Big 12 has done just fine with West Virginia and these these TV contracts continue to expand, I think the ACC will be more open to it now than they were last time around. Mm-hmm. And for you kind of mentioned it as far as West Virginia finding geographically balanced options like who are they like i think that the teams most linked to the big 12 typically have been or or at least teams that are not currently in other power five conferences uh are central florida and byu i wouldn't consider either of those <laughs> easy trips for west virginia and like you said we're not they're gonna just cincinnati's close but they're not just gonna add cincinnati just because so i think the best and most realistic i mean the best option is for West Virginia to land in the ACC and to play Pitt and Virginia Tech, Virginia, and all those schools, and then you, you know, get one or two non-conferences that are Oklahoma or Texas or somebody fun that's far away. And I think out of those three options, it might also be the most realistic. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Interesting. Kind of kind of a equal parts answer there, but yours is strong, too, Um Man, it would just seem so weird to be in a new conference four years from now. Just That's right. Strange. It's 2025, right? That the Big yeah. 12s is up. Yep. Are you prepared for that? Do you think I should like try to time out so my contract with CBS is done before that so I don't have to deal with it? Oh, I know three people I would replace you with. <laughs> just for the conference realignment rumor mill we could have running. I bet. Do, do any of them get a million page views, though? Oh, never. Never. Okay. Well, speaking of, uh, this is from Yidio10. Why do we not know anything about Derek Culver yet? 
I would have thought that he would at least be announcing that he's testing the draft waters by now. I don't think you'll find anybody over in basketball who would tell you that Derek Culver is the most predictable and by the book player person character out there. So in that regard, this is not surprising. Um, I would not be surprised if he doesn't even know what he's doing yet or if he hasn't gotten around to it. Um, I don't think he was out in Los Angeles shopping for agents and, and uh, working out to pursue the pros. I think that I mentioned this last time he has friends and family out there is what I was told. And cause kids are online in classes this year and Derek Colbert's not a guy to get behind in schoolwork. I'm sure he's up to snuff on everything. Uh, you can do online courses in California. I know California is a little bit different than everybody right now, but uh, you can still have internet access out there. So I'm not sure that was that big of a deal to everybody here. I think they were just kind of like, well, he's going to make up his mind soon. I think it's prohibitive to certain plans um, forming and executing that he hasn't said one way or the other yet. But I think you operate on the presumption that he is just like McBride, Sherman, McNeil, and that it's not certain he's coming back. He could be going pro. He could be back. I would be very surprised if that's not how they're acting right now. The trouble is the people who are on the other end of the phone calls that they have to make about, hey, would you like to come here and play? You could be our five. It could be our backup five. They can be on that same timeline for only so long before they have to make a decision. And if Culver is still uncertain to any end, um, that's when it takes a negative effect for West Virginia. So I also don't know what conclusion you're looking for right now, because even if he's in, he's not coming back before June, right? So you're talking about two more months of this. So I would imagine that it does seem weird. Is it that strange or disruptive? Ultimately, no, it's an unpredictable. I don't think it's unpredictable either. I think that they kind of expected that he would be in that boat. And the fact that it's Derek Culver doing this and he's not one or the other yet, I don't think that's a big surprise to them. I got a question for you. Maybe I should know this. I, I, I probably should know this, but is it possible that he has put in his name and just not announced it? Like it, that's not public information. Who's announced it, right? Like we only know the people that have announced that they're putting their name in. Is yeah, that right. That's very possible. And they don't produce that list for the public until later. Okay. So, that's what I thought. Yeah. So that's, that's not like a running thing. And that's not like the, the transfer portal where you can get somebody's code and go in and check it out. Um, it's a it's a physical list, but it's not. Hey, watch that, Mike. We're gonna get slammed by the NCAA here. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, the other part about it too, and this this kind of this maybe borrows from another question, but you really don't need to do the draft undervisory or underclassmen advisory committee. You don't need to do that to get a, an idea where you're gonna be. Um, I'm very very positive that Bob Huggins and his connections could network. And give Culver a very reasonable idea of his professional outlook without him having to go the formal process. Um, I know football does that. Back when Holgerson was here, I would assume Brown has a similar mechanism. But the the draft has a very formal underclassman advisory committee. And then because Dana and Alex Hammond and Ryan Dorchester, they knew front office NFL people, as many schools do. It's not a rarity to them. But like they would just kind of put together an ad hoc committee, so to speak, of who they knew and who those people knew and would get guys – a second opinion. Um, and I, I want to say that Greer's year where he came back, they did that. I'm not sure, but I think that that was it. Maybe it was Sills. I'm not positive. But, like, they did a whole lot of work outside of the formal process. I, why wouldn't Huggins have the same capacity? Certainly he does. Um, trouble is, who does Culver want to listen to? Who does a player want to listen to? The coaches, I'm using air quotes here, handpicked 
committee because if it doesn't come back that a player should go pro, what's that player going to think? Well, he wants me back on campus, so these guys aren't telling me the truth. I want to hear from the NBA, which means you're going to string this out a little bit longer. The trouble is, those things will be back before long, but the players are still going to want to wait to see if they get invited to workouts or get invited to the combine. McBride's probably better than a 50-50 proposition for the combine. I'm not sure he's a slam dunk for it, but and then you have that's in June, and then you have three weeks after the combine to come back, so What's the rush? We're talking about July here. The players are on their own time, their own clock right now. It's totally different. Sticking with basketball, this one's uh, not quite bait, but I thought it was a, a pretty interesting question, uh, I think, uh, from Kevier. Can you get into the leadership of the basketball team last year? We were led to believe it was McCabe and Matthews, and, you know, they left. Uh, it seems like. It seems so. What we'll leave it at that. I won't read the rest of the, that part. But what would you have said that McCabe and Matthews were the leaders of the basketball team, like as far as vocal leaders or lead by example or whatever? And, and how does West Virginia kind of fill that void? Well, yeah, they, those two guys in Culver had been around from the most thin moments of their freshman season to the preseason this year, which was their most robust moment. They were supposed to be very good, and they were. So they were the mainstays, and I think that all the players who came in from the time they were visiting as recruits to the time they were on campus and sharing the locker room and the floor with them, those two were established. If you were, um, if you were McBride and you were being recruited during McCabe and Matthews' freshman year, you might not see those guys as the leaders. But when you show up on campus and you know what that team went through going, I forget what the record was, but to the second round of the CBI – and they're still there. If you're if you're McBride, that's probably impressive. So they just and you're a freshman trying to figure out what it takes. McKay plays the same position you do. Matthews is the guy who was dunking on Texas Tech in the Big Twelve tournament. They established themselves a little bit. So I think in that regard they were. Trouble is they weren't great players, and you you have to do it on the floor. I can remember talking to Chase Harler about this, and it was extremely revealing because he said it, and I think a lot of people thought it. You can be around for a long time. You have to matter. Like you have to make game-winning plays. You have to have game-altering moments. You have to be a player that not only does it once, but does it for a week, does it for a month, does it for maybe a season. Because sooner or later, teammates are going to say, why am I listening to you? What have you done? Now, there are different rungs of your leadership ladder. And I think when you look at Matthews and McCabe, their perseverance, um, by all accounts, are really good practice players. They were, I think, influential in helping shape the roster last season about because those are both popular AAU guys, and they knew a lot of the possible transfer acquisition possibilities. Um, and maybe they were like, without because without visits, you had to really kind of go on hunches and your gut and what you knew and what other people knew about players. And I think that they were probably influential in that too. There was also a want for them to be good. Maybe that just didn't work out. But I think off the floor, I don't know if ambassadorial is the right word, but certainly more than basketball, um, they were they were important, and they were guys that you looked at. They could coordinate off-season workouts. They could have you over to their apartment. You could all jump in one of their Jeeps and go out one day and have some fun in the summer. But when you're down 11 <laughs> uh, to Oklahoma, who are you looking at there? Because one of them's not playing, and one of them's not playing very well. That's kind of where the void was, and I think McBride took that over a little bit. I think the Colbert could do that a little bit. Um, but I don't know, Christy, did they have an alpha? I think the most, the closest thing is McBride because he could take things over 
Um, and I think he wanted to at times. He would probably be the answer. But if you're looking at a team that was, as his question supposes, starved for leadership, I don't disagree. But I also see a team that came back a lot when it was down 10 or more points. I'll see a team that fell down a lot by 10 or more points. I'm with you. I think the answer would be McBride because I think he has those leadership qualities, point guards. Hey, and did you know he played quarterback? No. You didn't know that? Well, he did, Mike. He was he was a good quarterback before huh. he hurt his ankle. Uh, I learned that from ESPN. Um, he he has those qualities. I mean, you typically, point guard, quarterback, those guys are leaders, and he plays both of those spots. Uh, and as you mentioned, some you have to matter. I would say he matters. So I think he is the one that needs to fill that void if he hadn't already. Um, and I think that's your most likely answer. Him and Gabe. Do you think like yeah. Gabe, I feel like I don't know how much he talks. Like we again, we haven't weren't really able to be in the state in, in the arena in the Coliseum for games and stuff, but like I don't know how much he talks, how much he leads, how much he does that, but he certainly leads by example with his effort. And the job he does out there and what he does listening to coach and all that stuff. So I think he could be a guy, even though he is a, you know, a transfer that that came in after things were bad, you know, so he didn't have to kind of play through that. But I think those might be my two options heading into this year. Yeah, and they're going to need it, too, because they're going to have new players in there and some older players who are, I would say, ambitious. I'm not saying selfish, but are going to be trying to make the most out of this and they're going to be new and they're going to have their own cadence and it's going to take someone to make sure that everybody's in lockstep. Is it McCabe or is it McBride? Maybe. Um, could it be McNeil? If he comes back, I think that there's potential there because he's, again, that's a guy that works hard. He's no nonsense, um, but also really popular. There's possibilities, but certainly I think it begins and ends with McBride. All right. Uh, we're going to go one more question here. And then again, I'm going to answer the rest of these in written format. We'll have it up later today, but this last one, um, my feelings aren't hurt. Uh, not at all, but uh, was not. I was not brought into this. This was directed solely to Mike from Jcart304. Uh, Mike, what might be better for the summer when we are all really bored, but your comment about Matthews' story got me thinking. What's your number one untold WVU story? Is there a person, game, event that hasn't gotten the proper attention it deserves? I'll give you a couple here. Um, just the, the impetus of this question is Emmett Matthews, transferring to Washington, going home. I just, there's there's a lot beneath the surface about his life and his career that people don't know about. And I wish that that full story could be told. There's things I've heard, there's things I think, there's things I know. Um, and I, I think it's fascinating. Just from the time that he committed to UConn, way across the country, the coach gets fired for cheating. He's 11th hour, one of the top available prospects, ends up at West Virginia, and then it was at a very eventful time for him at West Virginia. Like, a lot happened to him on and off the floor. It's fascinating to me the things I think and things I know, and I wish that like that story could all be told because, to the point, there's so much that, that players and teams and coaches go through that you just don't know about. It's not just dribble a ball, catch a football. Um, there's a lot that goes on there. there there's a lot. Uh, one person I think that's kind of interesting would be Matthews. Um, Joe Alexander was one of the strangest but most interesting people to cover. Um, from an out-of-nowhere story. And it, it did get some attention back when he was here, but just a, an unbelievable story that I think would be good. And then I don't think we ever got the full Bruce Irvin story. We, we got parts of it, but there's a lot there that hasn't really been told. He's done that since then, but uh, I think that that should get more attention. Game? 
seventy to sixty three, the Baylor West Virginia game, because I know that <laughs> when the team when the team came back after that, that was the first Big Twelve game, and everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people in that locker room were like, "Oh my God, what did we get ourselves into?" Because <laughs> they they did not have a plan on defense. They didn't, um, and then that there was gonna be there wasn't gonna be seven more of those games, I guess eight more of those games, but there was going to be a lot of days like that. And I just, I just know that in the time since then that players looked around, like we're going to get let into the sawmill every day, every Saturday playing this way, <laughs> this is bad. And and the people on offense were like, we're going to have to be historic to be successful this year too. That game when what it meant, not only that afternoon, but for the rest of the season. And I think in some regard, the rest of the tenure, because I think they knew pretty quickly they didn't have the right defensive coordinator and that still hung around for a little bit. And then Dana's thing for a while was trying to get things right on defense. I think he ultimately got it right with Gibson, but it took a while. Um, and then another game, or and I guess another team, I should say, not game, but like a game that you could wrap up into a team. The first Huggins team, the 07-08 team, was really good, had a lot of the Final Four players, but remember, they were down by, I want to say, 16 or 18 in the Sweet 16 to Xavier. and came back and, and maybe probably could have, should have won that game and gone to the Elite Eight, and then who knows. Huggins says that Huggins, <laughs> Huggins' accounting of his career is kind of crazy because he says, like, oh, we should have been in the Final Four in 2008, and I'm like, wait a minute, you, <laughs> you lost to Xavier in the Sweet 16, but that was a good team, but there were so many stories that year about just the, the transition from Beeline to Huggins to life with Huggins to practice with Huggins. There were some battles player to player, team against team that season that I know, but like those stories have just never been told by the guys who were involved because that stuff stays inside the locker room. But if you look at that roster, so many good players, so many personalities from different parts of the country, from different types of basketball backgrounds. Um, some stayed, some left. You, you just had a really, I would say like intriguing mix of players and talent um, to, to make that work. Uh, that's, that's, that's to me is like one of those teams that kind of deserves like a 30 for 30 spotlight because it's Huggins. It's his way or no other way, but you got a lot of players who are successful on their own doing other things and didn't exactly get along with each other that season, but still think that's a pretty good team. And then event, I kind of just went over that too, but I was thinking about events. Um, uh, We know a lot about it, but man, what happened on like the 48 hours where they were in the big 12 and they weren't, and it was maybe Louisville and they weren't. Like, we've heard all the politician stuff, but far be it for me to trust a politician. And then even, like, the stuff that I've talked to Oliver Luck about um, has been pretty diplomatic. Like, oh, we're cool. It was just, like, one of those things that had to blow over. I wonder. Like, <laughs> I, wonder how, I wonder how freaked out people were for, like, a day about, oh, my God, we're going to be stuck on this island in the Big East and Louisville's going to take our spot. Because I really thought there was a chance that Louisville was going to get in. In some regard, Louisville made more sense. And they had influential support to make that happen and to pull a spot from West Virginia. I think ultimately we know some of the story, but there had to have been so much backroom stuff, so much back channel stuff, so much worry, dread, fear that the worst possible thing could happen so close to what would seem like the best available outcome. And that, of course, is the quintessential West Virginia sports experience being so close to something great and having the worst possible thing happen. And then, of course, you don't get in and then you end up in the ACC where you wanted to be all along. But, of course, you could you could not could not take that risk of but you just had to get in where you could get in at that time so um but man it's good stuff mike i like those stories i like the uh that 0708 team i don't want to say like i forgot about it but it's just not 
one that sticks in my mind. So I definitely think that's something that, um, you know, could use some more, some more uh, reporting about it. I, I think that's a pretty, pretty cool concept. One that, that was forgotten. That was because they didn't even finish in the top 25 that year. No. Maybe they did after the, after the tournament, but they were like fifth or sixth in the league and not in the top 25, kind of a, you know, barely above 500 in conference play, I think like 10 and eight or something like that. Like, Interesting team. Interesting team. And just the stories that year about just getting ready for getting ready for Huggins. Like they played Tennessee in the second or third game of that season. It was in Newark. And like they had they played I forget who, like Monticello and Florida A and M or maybe it was Prairie View A and M and bludgeon the ball. And you're like, Oh, these guys are gonna be good. Okay, it's Huggins, it's fine. You know, they, this is the NIT champion. These guys are gonna be fine. They go to Tennessee and they play really well. They lost by two or three, but it was in Newark. And like it's their first big game with Huggins, and like everybody's all fired up in the locker room, and Huggins comes in and gets kind of quiet, and everybody's like, "Okay, let, let's see what this guy's made of." And he just kind of looks at everybody and goes, oh, "I'm ready. Are you?" That, that was speech. it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I mean, they then they played. A, I want to say a tough schedule that year too, but like that, you're right. They weren't they weren't great. I don't think they had any like fantastic regular season wins. Um, I want to say they didn't beat a ranked team at all during the regular season until they might have gotten. Did they get Duke in the tournament? Um, I think their first win against a ranked team that year was in the Big East tournament against. Oh, it was Georgetown or UConn? They lost to. They lost to. They Georgetown. lost to Georgetown. I they beat that. UConn. That was their first win against a ranked team, um, and then they beat Arizona, which was really good. Duke really good and had a chance against Xavier. And Xavier's a Xavier's a great team that year. Um, but like that's a team that cobbled it together and that was a really good coaching job i think a really good job by the players to make sure that this is a unique experience let's make it memorable and they did like but there were there were a lot of stories off the court that year or in practice that year where they really had to police one another and make sure that this wasn't getting out of control and that they they knew they had a chance to be good and they found a way to make it happen all right well let's wrap this up mike i think uh we covered some of the questions again i'll get the rest of them we kept it under an hour yeah over 45 minutes but under an hour it's my bad and uh We'll take a break here. Me and you and I will. Well, for the listeners, you'll hear us again in a couple of days. But Mike, you and I will be talking again in about five minutes, probably, uh, to to preview the spring game. So look out for that podcast later in the week too. And Mike, what else you got coming up? Lots. Got some good stuff from Matt Moore. Very intriguing comments about the offensive line and who is here, who's not here, but certainly is part of the conversation. That's a cool part about the spring is you read a you reach a point where the coach is like, I already seen enough of this guy or this thing. What about that guy who'll be here in the summer? And there's there's some definite candidates. There's a, there's one for sure. It sounds like there's two uh, on the offensive line, but also you know guys like Jaquay Hubbard and even Tariq Stewart who are working their way back and may become a part of this too. So there's a lot to like there. And then uh, you already hit about this. Dante Wright likes his defensive backfield, likes his safeties, and might also grow by one too. Every everybody's position group grown by one this off season. They have the coaches. By my count, they have one, two, three, four, five, eight more scholarships available because <laughs> every assistant coach is like, we might add one more, except the quarterback, of course. Yep. Well, All until right. then, Chris, we'll wrap this up now. We'll talk again soon. I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.